guys, do um, grab hold of a Bible. And we're going to have two readings this evening. Um, So the first is Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. That's page 58. And the second is Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 11. And I don't know the page number, but it won't be too far from Exodus. So um, do keep a thumb in Ex. Actually, keep a thumb in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 11, and um, have Exodus in front of you. Um, if you're new here this evening or visiting, um, we're taking a kind of look through the Ten Commandments. Um, we're about to hit the third in our series, looking at the name of God, a holy God, um, and that's going to see us through to about Christmas time. Brilliant. Has everybody got scripture? Pardon? Oh, right. Sorry. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, and that's page 58. And uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 11. 176. Thank you. Um, And if you're feeling a bit cold, it's because the heating's packed in again. I'm very sorry. But, you know, we're here with the Lord and the power of the Spirit, so we'll be good. Wonderful. Okay. Let's start in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. And then moving to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 11. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Okay, let's pray and then we'll dig into what that is all about. Father, we just thank you that in all that you are in the person of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit that you've become ever, ever close to us. And Lord, we honor you in this place this evening. We ask that your truth and your freedom would reign. And Lord, that you would enliven this word to our hearts and our minds. And that we would go away changed for the sake of your world that you deeply, deeply love. Amen. Amen. I have to be honest, when I first read those verses, I can't quite remember exactly when that was in my life. But it seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? It's just a word. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So what we're going to do this evening is unpack the reality of the name of God and actually what is being birthed and being said through this scripture. And the first thing that we need to do is, through all of the Old Testament, we need to see the Old Testament through New Testament eyes. Through the eyes of what we know of God in the fullness that was revealed in the person of Jesus and all that he calls us into as Christians. And so we know that actually when Jesus burst onto the scenes, Matthew 5, he fulfilled the law. And we know 
that in the person of Jesus, we've been singing about it, we've gathered around um, the Lord's table to, to declare it afresh, that actually all freedom is found. And there's total, total forgiveness for sins. So when we approach a scripture like this, it is not a fear thing, it's a freedom thing. And we can be really, really confident in that. And we also need to stand on the truth that we were unpacking a couple of weeks ago, that these are not, you shall not. This is not God wagging a finger at us saying, here's a bunch of rules that you may or may not be able to kind of, you know, take hold of. It's actually, thou shalt be free. Thou shall be free. That when we engage with this stuff, it's about freedom. It's about the right ordering of our lives and putting God exactly where he should be and us under and with him, known by name as he has made us. And so what's going on um, in Deuteronomy? Um, you can follow the narrative in Exodus 2. So if you look to Exodus chapter 20, it would mirror these words that we're reading in um, Deuteronomy 5. And essentially, Deuteronomy is offered to us as the words of Moses in one day, apart from the final chapters that go on a bit. But most of it is just Moses, one day, declaring the truth of who God is and all that has been revealed to him. Because the Israelites have spent 40 years wandering around the desert, getting it wrong a lot of the time. And actually now they're about to approach the promised land. Now they're about to become a stationary people. Now they're about to become a people that needs to flourish and needs to know what it means to do well as a people group, to do well as a nation. And so God offers in his love and his mercy these rules, these guidelines, these guidelines for human flourishing as it would be. But nothing has changed. Human nature does not change. And so when we fast forward to today, when we hit 2018, Fulham, West London, all of that, actually, we're the same. This stuff is about our flourishing. It's about how we were made. It's the basis of living and walking well on earth. So what's going on? What's going on with the name of God? Well, that's why we need to read um, Exodus chapter 3, first of all. And what happens in Exodus chapter 3 is that Moses is found in the desert. He seems to have spent a lot of his life in the desert, to be honest. Um, and he's got things kind of wrong in Egypt. He's killed someone. He's fled from um, Pharaoh and fled from justice. And he's hiding in the desert. And the Lord calls him, calls him by name. And the Lord calls him through a burning bush. And as Moses approaches that burning bush, the ground is so holy and the presence of God is so awesome that Moses can't get properly close to it. And the Lord says to Moses, you're going to have to take off your shoes for the ground that you're standing on is holy. And in that moment before the burning bush, the name of God is revealed. Actually, for scripture prior to that, for the whole of Genesis, we don't know the name of God. God hasn't revealed his name. He's just called God Almighty. And then in this moment, this moment of utter holiness, where the living God is profoundly close, he reveals his name. And in revealing his name, he reveals his fundamental characteristic, that he is a holy God. He reveals his holiness. I am. I am. Because no reality 
has existed before God. And no reality will exist after God. God is eternally the Lion of Judah, the great I am, the Lord of heaven's armies. He's eternally Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He doesn't change. James, he doesn't change like the shifting shadows. He is. He is I am a holy God. And that's what we've been called into. And actually, as you go through scripture, the reality just continues. Matthew chapter 5, James chapter 5, again and again, exhorting us to use the name and the things of God, the things of the heavenlies well, because they are holy. Amos, Old Testament prophet, and towards the end of um, the Old Testament era. Actually, God's name is so holy that in Amos, the only person who's allowed to swear by it is God himself. And he swears by himself, and he swears by his holiness. But we're called to, to step back into who we are and to adore that name. So why is God's name so important? Well, firstly, it's because it tells us who God is. That's what names do. And secondly, it's this holiness thing. It highlights his holiness. And in the Old Testament, um, a person's name, and a person's soul were basically indistinguishable. They were just kind of one. And that is an incredibly present reality in the name of God. So before that, we see Jacob. Jacob's called by God. When Jacob's called by God, his name's changed to Israel. Abraham, before he was Abraham, was Abram, meaning father. When he's called by God, when God says to him, you're going to be the father of many, many nations, he's renamed Abraham. If you go to the New Testament, Saul, Saul, who persecuted the church, when he has an encounter with Jesus, when he sees the risen Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, what happens? His name is changed to Paul. And he's the father of the early church. Names means something and more so with God he's a great I am he's Yahweh so what's going on in God's name and um, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago but if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 6 it just says I am the Lord your God I am the Lord your God can we flip a tiny bit Mark thank you yeah brilliant um so I am I am is about the transcendent awesome eternal, full of reverence, demanding of our reverence aspect of God and his name and his nature. But the Lord, the Lord means Yahweh. That's one of God's names in the Old Testament. And Yahweh, the Lord, is about the relationality of God. The fact that God comes close to us, that he knows his people. So God is both I am, reverent or and the Lord, full of relationship, coming close to us. That's who God is. That's why his name is so important. He is, I am, and he is the Lord. And names matter at such a deep level, don't they? I was thinking about this, um, and I have a friend called Stu. Um, and um, Stu, bless him. Um, he's had many songs written about him. We replace the name, the, sorry, the word you with Stu. Um, it gets us into all sorts of territory. Anyway, so we've been calling him Stu for years. Everything I stew, I stew about you, all those sorts of things. Um, 
The thing about Stu is, though, his name's not Stu. His name's James. <laughs> and one day, I, before I ever met him, someone called him Stu, and it stuck. But the thing about Stu, James, is that the people closest to him, his lovely wife, Anna, she calls him James. His mum and dad call him James. And people at work call him James because that is his name. Um, <laughs> that is appropriate. Um, and on, on their wedding day, it was a bridesmaid at their wedding. It was a glorious, glorious day. And Anna gave her vows to James. And James gave his vows to Anna. Actually, there is a seriousness in our names. They tell us who we are. And at a deep level, they allow us to engage with people. And what we call people and how we use our name affects how we think of them. So that's what's going on with this commandment. Actually, how we use God's name affects what we think of God and how we relate to him. And it's so important that we have a good picture of God. Um, Tozer, who is an amazing spiritual father, if you ever want to read anything, Tozer's books are short and incredibly deep. Um, do get hold of them. And... Um, yeah, if we just flip on Mark, thank you. And um, he just puts it like this. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And the challenge through the name of God is actually what are we picturing God when we use words what picture is that creating of God in our minds? That's the first challenge this evening. Actually, how do we picture God? Names, words, they matter. So that's the name of God. Um, and then his holiness. In Jewish culture today, the name of God is so holy that they don't use it. But actually, we know as Christians that God has come totally, totally close in the person of Jesus Christ. And that he's invited us into a relationship with him. And we can approach him as father and friend and, you know, lover of our soul and all of that. And that is good and right. That is the relationship bit. That's the Lord, the Yahweh bit. But his name's still holy and it's still to be revered. Actually, his relationality, all the New Testament stuff, our walk with him in 2018, that doesn't get rid of the reverence stuff. And there's something in us, um, in human nature, I can feel it in myself, and we always want to set up camp in one of two poles. So some of us are going to find it really easy to veer towards reverence. And others of us are going to find it really easy to veer towards relationship. But what God is always whispering to us is that it's the radical middle. It's the radical middle of reverence and relationship. That's how we're to approach him. That's what his name is saying to us. And that's what we're to honor him with when we speak of him. Um, the 17th century Puritan writer, and the Puritans were great, if a bit puritanical at points, but anyway. Um, and... Thomas Brooks puts it like this. God's holiness is his nature and name. God's nature and name is his holiness. We can't escape the holiness of God when we gaze on him and we gaze on his name. It's right there in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? What do we do earlier this evening? 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. You know, prayer is the primary activity of having a relationship with God. How do we have a relationship with God? Relationship stuff. What do we do? We pray. We speak to him. We have a conversation. But right there in the heart of relationship is the reverent stuff that we approach him through the holiness of his name. I am the Lord your God, reverence and relationship. And when I was thinking about this, I think that it's actually a particular challenge for us, Charismatic Christianity 2018. I've spent my whole life in and around Charismatic Christianity. And we have been absolutely, absolutely brilliant on the relational stuff. And our history is absolutely, absolutely brilliant on the reverence stuff. Actually, when you read any account of a revival, any account of the glory of God, all the stuff that we long for flooding the room, there's such a sense of the holiness of God and the reverence of God. If you read accounts of the Azusa Street Revival, which is um, early 20th century Los Angeles, um, in a really kind of impoverished area, where the power of God was just, just poured out in ways that I, I longed to see. And people came to faith in their hundreds and thousands. But when you read those accounts, they tell us that the presence of God was so great, was so thick, that actually the preacher had to hide in the pulpit. The weight of his glory caused them to bow in utter reverence. It's the Exodus stuff. It's the Moses stuff. What goes on as we go through Exodus is that when the Lord, when Moses says to the Lord, actually, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. The Lord says to Moses, I will pass by you, but actually you will not be able to bear it. So I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock as my glory passes by. The weight of my holiness will be almost in the most beautiful, beautiful way too much for you to bear. It's a reverent stuff. And our history in charismatic Christianity is that. It's a longing for the power and the presence of the living God. But I think sometimes, and I'm speaking to myself here, in our desire to talk about the relationship we can have with God, in our desire to articulate the love of God, all of which are, you know, right and true, Sometimes we can lose the reference because we set up camp in relationship. We don't walk the middle ground of reference and relationship. And the name of God challenges us to be running through that middle ground. I um, don't know if you remember this, but a few years ago, um, this came into fashion. Do you remember these? Jesus is my homeboy. My friend Jess had a belt. It was horrible. Um, <laughs> And I get what's going on there. And actually, to be fair to Jess, with her Jesus at my homeboy belt, it made for some good conversation about Jesus. But is it a bit too here without enough reverence? Question mark. Sometimes we set up camping, Jesus is my homeboy. And we might just need to set up camping, Jesus is the Lord of life, etc. Um to be, um, to be less trite, um, Simon Ponsonby, who has written like the best book ever. Um, Simon Ponsonby is one of the vicars at St. Aldate's in Oxford. He's a brilliant theologian. Um, he's just written this book, The Pursuit of the Holy. It's wonderful. Do read it. Um, 
he puts it like this. And he's a raving charismatic, I can tell you. Um, too often, our concept of God trivializes the profound. Too often, our concept of God trivializes the profound. The name of God calls us into reverence and relationship. And so that calls us into our kind of second nudge of the evening and of coming to land fairly soon. Um, your picture of God, is it based in, your, in, based in holiness? Is holiness the baseline? You know, if you approach scripture and you look at what the heavenlies do to worship God, the angels and the cherubims and the seraphims and all of that, if you look in Isaiah, if you look in the book of Revelation, the primary words used is not them crying out about God's love or his power or his grace or his mercy or his justice, all of which are true. The fundamental thing that they sing about is his holiness. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. The name of God tells us the holiness of God. And it's from that that everything else flows. So if we scale it down practically, what, what does that all mean for us? Well, firstly, it's back to that kind of thou shalt be free stuff. Guys, if we get hold of the name of God and we take him seriously, everything just falls into perspective. Okay, he's the potter, we're the clay. Thou shalt be free. And it's also about the dignity of inclusion. I use that phrase a lot because that is just one of the profound mysteries, beautiful mysteries of the Christian faith, that this awesome God, the great I am, the creator of the world, has welcomed us in and has chosen to use us. We're included in. We're included into the name of God. Actually, that's what happened in the incarnation, the ascension. And Jesus heading up to heaven, he's taken humanity into the Godhead and he has irrevocably drawn us in and we're included into the name of God and we're included in his holiness and we're called to his holiness. And they knew it way back in the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. If we're his people and he's a holy God, we're called to be a holy people. And he bestows dignity on us through that. Um, some of my favorite verses in scripture, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And this is for all of us. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's who we are. And his name declares that over us. And we can't let that be diminished. You're a holy nation. You bear his name. We witness to who he is. Who are we? We're Christians. Christ is. We bear his name. And when we walk out of this church, you know, into the world, tomorrow morning, tonight in about half an hour, we bear his name and we're a royal priesthood and a holy nation and we witness to him. We are included. 
And we haven't got time this evening to um, really get into the guts of what holiness is. But if you've been in and around church for a while, you kind of know it. Just know it in your gut, don't you? You know that it's living by the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit, surrounded by people who run this race with you. And the rest of this series will unpick this stuff a little bit more. But what we need to know right now is that he's a holy God and we're called into this holiness. And thirdly, it's all for the sake of the world. We spent a long time last year, didn't we, um, looking at social engagement and God's heart for the world. And actually this holiness stuff is about that. Because when we get holy, when we find ourselves in that kind of revival territory of Azusa Street or the Wesleyan revival in the 18th century or the Welsh revival at the beginning of the 20th century, when God's people get holy and they cry out to him, he moves. And what happens is social transformation. All the great social transformations of our country have been precursored by a move towards God's holiness, by his church crying out for holiness. It's all for the sake of the world. The Wesleyan revival, John Wesley riding around the country in the 18th century, declaring the word of the Lord in um, a country that had basically turned their back on God, where the churches were empty. And what happened? The churches were filled again, and thousands of people became Christians. But what also happened was that justice rolled like a mighty river, and people swept up the poor. And, you know, social housing was sorted out as much as it could be in the 18th century. Um, and, you know, historians, secular historians say that that was one of the greatest moves for social change in modern times in Britain. And... Actually, Britain was about to go the way of France and start decapitating the king at that point, or the queen now, and all of that, and we were going to have a revolution. And actually, the Wesleyan revival pulled our country back from the brink of a secular revolution, and justice rolled like a mighty river. I love what this guy Jim Wallace says, because this is what I'm longing for, and I think most of us are. The social transformation of the world alleviating poverty and disease, restoring human rights and religious freedom, bringing peace, overcoming prejudice, can only come through a spiritual revival based on holiness. And it all begins in the name of God, who is holy, holy, holy. That's why commandment three is so important. It's not the Lord trying to be harsh. It's the Lord saying, my name matters. And what you call me will become part of what you are and part of how you understand me. So, challenges this evening. Um, how do we picture God? Is our picture of God based in holiness? Well, where do we find ourselves? And this is okay. You'll, you'll move around through your Christian life. Um, do we find ourselves setting up camp in relationship or perhaps in reverence? Do we need to come back into this radical middle? What does our speech reflect? And by speech, let's um, include um, email and WhatsApp and all of that because we speak digitally a lot these days. Um, because as we know, our speech is so much more than words. Um, 
There's some of us struggling with blasphemy. That that happens. That's okay. It's not some like mega sin that God can't forgive. Remember the cross. But you know, do we need to ask God this morning, this evening? Sorry, this evening, um, to, at the risk of sounding like Ina Blyton, to uh, move our gods to goshes. Or gollies. Laura Brim uses golly. It's great. <laughs> you know, do we need to ask the Lord to, to do that in us? Um, do we speak well of God when we're not sitting in these seats and we're in the rest of our lives? Do we give him the place of, of all that he deserves? Do we approach him as I am? Do we, do we gently challenge others when they blaspheme? Actually, when you hear the God or the Jesus Christ, are we able in love to say, hey, that, that's my God. Can we work on a different word? Where are we at with that? Um, and are we living a holy life? None of us get it right, but I certainly do. Don't, um, not do. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I certainly do. <laughs> I'm not going to live that one down, am I? No. <laughs> I really, really, see, God's got a sense of humor. There we go. I don't get it right a lot of the time. I sent a terrible email yesterday. I've got to talk to Tim about that in a bit. Sorry. <laughs> um, anyway, um, moving swiftly on, let's get back into a place of um, holiness. Um, yeah. Yeah, how are we doing on the holiness stuff? Um, how's our speech going? And how are we? picturing God, how we're using his name. That's where we're, we're going to land this evening. Okay, I'm aware that was um, quite a lot. So guys, should we just stand before this God who is closer than a brother and the great I am? And let's just ask his spirit to, to move amongst us and just see what he wants to do. It'll be different for each and every one of us. might be that you just want to kind of put your hands out in front of you. You don't have to. It's not magic. It's just adopting a posture of saying, here I am, Lord. I want whatever it is that you want to do with me this evening. And Father, we thank you that you're good and you're grace. And that you're also God. And great is the mystery of Holy Spirit, we ask that you will come and fall in this place now. 